Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast as we continue our sermon series on faith on stage as we look at some popular musicals, particularly from recent years, and how it integrates with our faith. So before I get into that, let's read today's passage. It's a familiar one, perhaps for those who have attended a wedding recently. This is from 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read the whole chapter. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. For those of you who are about probably maybe my age in their 40s, 50s, and, and up, you may remember the Columbia Record Club. It was a particularly popular quote-unquote club in the 70s and 80s. Readers of newspapers might see ads that would promise potential members of the club the chance to buy something like eight records or tapes for only a penny. And I remember seeing this as a preteen and thought, what a bargain. I, I mean, I can come up with a penny. So I signed myself up. I was too young to see the fine print of the arrangement. By joining the club, you also had to buy a certain number of albums at regular or slightly inflated prices over the next three years. And the club would keep sending you mailings every month with catalogs showing the latest music. And there was a card in that mailing that a person had to mail back, either making an order or saying you didn't want anything that month. And if you didn't mail the card back, the club considered that an order and would mail you the album or cassette tape of the month. The first time I did this as a child, needless to say, I didn't pay much attention to mailing the cards back every month. And I would get a couple of cassette tapes mailed to me, much to the consternation Uh, and puzzlement, I think, of my parents. It was my first experience of making sure that one reads the fine print of any agreement, and my first experience of the phrase, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I bring all this up because today's passage from 1 Corinthians might be considered too good to be true. Many of us, of course, have heard this scripture read at a wedding, maybe your own, and I can see why. It's a powerful statement about love. But is it too good to be true? I think there's some fine print, or rather maybe some context here that we need to pay attention to 
But when we do so, we'll discover that this kind of love is better than even the most beautiful wedding. When we dig down, we discover love isn't just rainbows and unicorns. Love has a tenacity that we may not realize is there. So I mentioned earlier, we are continuing our series called Faith on Stage. So we'll explore this passage and pair it with the musical Rent, the rock musical that first made it to Broadway in 1996. One of Rent's most famous songs is Seasons of Love, which makes sense for us to talk about love today. But there are other themes and songs in Rent that may do an even better job of digging into the power of love. So for those of you who have not seen Rent, I have been going to broadway.com in this series to find summaries. And broadway.com summarizes Rent this way. It's loosely based on Puccini's opera La Boheme. Rent tells the story of a group of impoverished friends struggling to survive and create in New York's gritty Alphabet City in 1991. Over the course of one year, Rent follows these starving artists as they strive for success and acceptance while enduring the obstacles of poverty, illness, impending gentrification, and the AIDS epidemic. So there are a lot of subplots in Rent that explore the different relationships of the main characters of the show. For example, there's a character named Maureen, who is a performance artist. Maureen is in a relationship with Joanne, but Maureen also used to be in a relationship with Mark, who is a struggling documentary filmmaker, who still isn't over Maureen. Mark lives with Roger, who one night during a blackout meets up with Mimi, a dancer who struggles with drug addiction. Mark and Roger are also friends with Collins, a scholar who came back to live with them, but who also has a burgeoning relationship with Angel, a drag performer. Collins, Angel, Roger, and Mimi are all living with HIV or AIDS. I know it's probably challenging to keep up with all of this, but all of these characters integrate with one another and their lives kind of come in and out. And you, look, you could look at any of these relationships and explore the nature of love. So, for example, what does it mean for Collins, who is in this relationship with Angel, what does it mean for Collins to give care to Angel as Angel slowly dies because of the ravages of AIDS? There's a really wonderful song called I'll Cover You that talks about this. Or the complicated connections between Roger and Mimi. Or the jealousy between Joanne and Maureen. But I'm particularly interested in the love that the group has as a group together. It's complicated, to say the least. Romance between different members of the group, competing interests, struggling with life and death questions. In the midst of all of this, later in the story, Angel dies and the group gathers at the funeral. Perhaps struggling with Angel's death and the pain of uncertainty in their own futures, the group fights among themselves and seems to break apart This is from a song in the movie called Goodbye, Love. I'll put a link to this on my Podbean page from the, uh, or I should say from the musical. And this link I'll put is from the movie. So it's after Angel's funeral and Collins sings the line from Goodbye, Love saying, you all said you'd be cool today. So please, for my sake, I can't believe he's gone. And then Roger sings, or the Collins sings to Roger, I can't believe you're going. I can't believe this family must die. Angel helped us believe in love. I can't believe you disagree. Everything is becoming 
apart. Angel, perhaps, was the glue that held them all together. But remember what I said about the tenacity of love? In the midst of the strife of life and death, the love that the group has for one another comes together at the end of the musical, and they realize that love is something one commits to every day. At the very end, in the finale, they sing a song and they say, there's only now, there's only here. Give in to love or live in fear. No other path, no other way, no day but today. That may be why the song Seasons of Love is so powerful. The song asks us, how do we measure love? It is measured day by day. You may know it, 525,600 minutes, 525,000 moments so dear, in daylights and sunsets and midnights and cups of coffee and inches and miles and laughter and strife. How do you measure a year in the life? How about love? Measure in love. Now this, I think, as we come back to Paul in 1 Corinthians, this, I think, is the point that he is trying to make. Now, a reminder for those who, who maybe don't know the passage, Paul is perhaps uh, the, Christianity's greatest evangelist, had a, a profound experience of the resurrected Christ and then committed himself to sharing the gospel through all parts of, um, in today, what is Turkey and, and Greece, And he's writing here to a church in Corinth. This is a church that Paul helped start. And these Corinthians, the people in this church, a very diverse group of people. The scholar Dr. Shively Smith said that it was a fellowship that transgressed conventional social boundaries of ethnicity, gender, age, rank, status, life situation. There are married and unmarried, women and men, widows and children, Most of the members are converted Gentiles, but there are also some Jews who are part of this community. There are powerful figures who were former synagogue leaders, but also most of them were from the lower classes. There are slaves and free in the community, as well as people with different skill sets and gifts. And on the one hand, we might think to ourselves how beautiful it is that a very diverse community like this can come together. But it also maybe not surprise you that there were fights that were going on. People thought pretty highly of themselves. They thought, my gift is better than your gift. And so there, were, there was some dissension in their midst. Dr. Smith says that maybe the placement of 1 Corinthians 13 in this particular place in the letter means that Paul is up to something. He wedges this poem in the middle of conversations about spiritual achievements. In chapter 12, Paul discusses spiritual gifts and presents his famed analogy of the church as the body of Christ. The the body boasts many gifts and many stations unified under one body. But these gifts are not enough to sustain the community. community. Paul digresses in chapter 13 to talk about love as the hidden ingredient. And then he continues his conversation about the spiritual life in 1 Corinthians 14. He is saying here, Paul is saying here, that love is the thing. Love is the thing that holds everything together. It is more powerful than any gift a person has. It is the key to bridging differences. You may think and believe that you have a particular gift, something that you do well, which is great. It is not as great as the gift of love. 
And here, I think we have to be careful about how love is defined. Love is active. The scholar Young Suk Kim reminds us as he looks at all of the different action, active verbs here. I count 15. To be patient, act kindly, to be jealous, to brag, to be proud, to behave innocently, to desire. All of these things that happen in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not something that we just fall back on. Love is not just a really comfy pillow that we can go to. Love is much, much more than that. Louis Galloway, the pastor at Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis, says this, There is nothing sentimental about the image of love that Paul sets before the church. Such love is active, tough, resilient, and long-suffering. That's the thing I think that we miss because 1 Corinthians 13 is read so often in weddings. And again, it's, it's great that it is. But I think we miss out on the power of this when we only see 1 Corinthians 13 uh, read in, in that occasion. Sometimes when I preach at weddings, I talk about there's a one of the verses talks about that love endures all things, meaning love lasts and that we have to put in the hard work of love. But love is the thing that will hold communities, friendships, marriages, anything. Love is the thing that will hold it together. We cannot simply read 1 Corinthians 13 and believe that it has the magic powers on its own to win the day. We cannot find a meme with lots of hearts falling on a teddy bear when I there's an app called Giphy that looks that will give you different memes. And I typed in love and the first one that popped up was hearts falling on a teddy bear, which is very lovely, of course, but love is more than that. Yes, we can measure it in sunsets and midnights and cups of coffee. And we measure it in laughter and strife, in miles and inches. Love is something that we must commit to every single day, recognizing that it is not always about romance and good feelings and the desire to stay connected. Love endures. Love is tough. Love is resilient. Love is long-suffering. I don't know if any of you remember commencement speeches from graduation ceremonies that either you've attended or been a part of. And I confess I rarely do myself, but I do remember there was one line from the ceremony of my seminary graduation that has always stuck with me. I don't remember who the speaker was, but I remember a challenge that she gave to the graduates. I think she assumed that most of us would be serving churches in some capacity. And she said that the one question you must ask yourself before you go into a church is this, will you love the people? That has always stuck with me, and it's a question I try to ask myself every day, not just for churches that I pastor, but also my family, people that I come across. Will I love the people who are put in front of me? The kind of love that is resilient, scarred, astounding, and our best hope. This was put to the test pretty early on in my ministry. 
the very first church that I pastored, I went to visit an older couple at their home. I'll just call them Frank and Evelyn. I don't remember if their children or extended family lived close by, but I do remember that they were kind of pack rats. The many rooms in their home were filled with stacks and stacks of newspapers and magazines, knickknacks and boxes of clothes. And I was a little concerned that maybe they couldn't live on their own anymore, and I wondered what role should I play in this situation. In my mind, as I was, as I was visiting with them, I wasn't listening to them very closely because I was trying to figure out how to fix this situation and care for them. Should I try to reach out to their family? Should I contact some kind of social services for the elderly? Could they live on their own? All these questions were going on through my mind. But in the midst of that, Frank asked me a question that brought me out of my fix-it mode. It was hard for Evelyn to move around. Apparently, it had been a few days since she had had a change of clothes. Frank asked me, will you help me change her? I was taken aback by the request. This is one of those moments that pastors often have where they ask themselves the questions. They didn't teach us this in seminary. But there it was in front of me. Will you help me change her? I wondered if it was appropriate for me to to do this, but then those words from my graduation came to mind. Will you love the people? I was moved, touched, inspired that the love Frank had for Evelyn was so evident there that the care that he had for her was there after decades and decades of marriage. I mean, this was about as unromantic as it could be. This is what the wedding vows say when couples say in sickness and in health. But I decided to do my best to help Frank while helping Evelyn keep her dignity and privacy so that she could have a fresh set of clothes. You might call this service or an act of kindness, but on that day I called it love. Friends, this is the kind of love that we are called to show others. It's the small print that we don't think about when we commit to loving and laughter and strife. Paul tells us love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. It's the kind of love that Jesus showed and continues to show. It's the kind of love that our city and our world needs. And it starts minute by minute, inch by inch. And all of your relationships, whether friend or stranger, I hope that the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that Jesus exhibited in his life, can be the same kind of love that we show each other. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening to this podcast. As always, you can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org. You can go to my website, christiancoon.com, and you can sign up for my uh, email that I put out twice a week. There's one coming out this week. And so you can uh, receive that in your email box. I will be back next week as we finish up this sermon series. We finish it up with... um, combination of uh, 
The Wiz and Wicked together as we look at The Wizard of Oz. So I look forward to sharing uh, those thoughts with you. So until the next time, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. I ever with thee.